Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. This is your host, Rick Lee James, and you are listening to episode number 93 with our guest, Andrew Greer. Andrew Greer is a great singer, songwriter, hymn writer. Um, he, he really is becoming one of my favorite artists, and I've only known about him for just a very short time. To give you a quick backstory, I was on a, a great radio show. I was really thrilled because it's uh, some of my first national exposure as an artist uh, this year at Christmas time on Under the radar. Uh, you can still find the show in the form of a podcast if you'd like to go back and listen to it. But on this particular week on the show Under the Radar, they were featuring, uh, along with myself and several others, Andrew Greer. And they gave him uh, several interview spots throughout the show. And I thought, gosh, this guy just sounds like such a, a really cool person. He really uh, is a great musician. And, and they would play his songs throughout different segments of the show. And, and I was listening really for kind of selfish reasons reasons at first. I was listening because I wanted to hear myself on Under the Radar, and uh, to, to kind of have that experience is a, a actually it's such a big honor, and so I was really um, just so honored to be included on that show. But little did I know I would come in contact with a new artist to me who, uh, come to find out, a lot of people have already heard about and have been experiencing his music for quite some time and has really been loving it. And so I guess you could say I'm a new convert to the music of Andrew Greer. He's a bit of a hymnologist, I guess you could say, which makes him very interesting to me. And uh, we had a great conversation uh, specifically about what our question of the week is about this week. Uh, and so I think without any further pause, I'm going to go ahead and go into this week's question of the week because a lot of you out there uh, responded with answers this week, and uh, I'm really excited about that. So I'm going to be reading your answers just before we get into the interview with Andrew Greer today. Question of the week. This week's question of the week was, what is a hymn? What makes a song a hymn? I particularly was interested in this because I've been leading music now for a long time, and I think you could probably ask 20 different people and get 20 different answers as far as what the definition of a hymn is. And uh, it just proved it this week because I was actually asking pastors this question, and these are, are just a few of the answers that I received from this question. It seems like nobody has the right answer. Uh, it's kind of a funny question. I, I feel like I ought to uh, make some side, sort of a documentary or something, get with the film crew and go around and make a documentary asking people and discovering the roots of what is a hymn because it's one of the most misunderstood things. I, and I don't know that any of these answers are wrong answers. They just seem to be different answers for the most part. So uh, what is a hymn? What makes a song a hymn? And uh, Andrew has a great answer for this whenever we get to the interview with him in just a few moments. But these are some of the answers that you wrote in and responded uh, responded with. rather. Uh, Mitchell Modine wrote in and he said, A hymn is a regular or semi-regular meter uh, with content about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Church, etc., or attributes of the same rather than one's experience of testimony about the same. Melody Sides Booten says, 
I say it depends on the context and how many categories you have. Many songs that we all grew up with would be called hymns by some, but by many uh, or most hymnologists, they are called gospel songs. Uh, and then Mitchell Modine wrote in again and said, if it has a third verse that can regularly be skipped, then it's a hymn, which I find that pretty funny because it seems like that's all we uh, do in churches a lot of times is skip the third verse of the hymn. Um, Brandon Hancock, a uh, guest of the show and friend of uh, the podcast, uh, wrote in and he said, uh, hymns are songs written to ascribe glory of God for the purpose of congregational singing. Along the lines with what Mitchell Modine said, I tend to think of him as a more structural designation, regular meter, no refrain, chorus, although it can and perhaps should be used more broadly. In other words, I don't think that adding a new chorus to an old hymn makes it not a hymn. But I also think the reason we consider In Christ Alone or Before the Throne of God Above as contemporary hymns rather than praise worship songs that are also written to ascribe, ascribe glory to God for the purpose of congregational singing is because they have a regular meter and don't have a refrain. Uh, good answer, Brandon. Jerry Sather wrote in, said, Augustine described a hymn as the praise of God in a song and the praise of God that is not sung is not a hymn. So very interesting about what Augustine said. Um, Randy Lee James wrote in, actually, my dad, good to hear from you, dad. He said, from my perspective, a hymn is one that focuses directly on the attributes and work of the Almighty rather than the benefits I receive from him. Very interesting. Uh, Eric Fry wrote in and he said, could I argue that a song is a hymn when it is offered as a prayer in the liturgy? Uh, interesting. And uh, Brandon Hancock replied to that and said, I like that. And then we had just one other that I'm going to be able to share today. Uh, Tammy Condon, she wrote in and she said her husband, Joey Condon, does an excellent sermon series on this from his professional studies in theology and art. He sees biblical definitions for three categories, hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Uh, hymns are songs that instruct and teach doctrine. Psalms are songs of praise, and spiritual songs are songs of testimony to edify the body. A hymn is not a musical style, though that is what people try to do. All three can be expressed in whatever musical stylings one chooses. So that's a, a lot of really good answers there, and uh, we'll see uh, more and more maybe as we try to study what a hymn is, that there are a whole lot of different definitions about it. I really appreciate you guys writing in. I actually had more answers than that, but I just don't want to take up too much time on the show. Um, you can answer the question of the week for the podcast uh, on Facebook. Uh, you can just go to facebook.com slash Rick Lee James, and uh, I'll post the question of the week there. Uh, I also have the Voices in My Head Facebook page where you can go there, but it seems like a lot more people are just using facebook.com slash James these days or also on twitter at James. it's another wonderful place to answer these questions it's actually one of the the quickest and easiest to do that all the answers this week uh, came from facebook mostly from pastors and that's uh, what i like to see so thank you so much for being a part of question of the week question of the week well, before we get into my conversation with Andrew Greer, just a reminder that on January 17th, 
I'll be having my book release party. That's the day that my book in physical form actually arrives at Amazon and you can order it for yourself. Uh, you can walk into uh, some bookstores around the country and pick them up. Uh, I'm also in talks uh, with an, an author um, management company right now that may be helping me to publish this book in a much uh, broader, uh, maybe nationwide way. Uh, so I'm really excited about that and the possibilities. Um, the book is only available in ebook form right now, but you can get it on Amazon Kindle and Nook and just about any place that offers ebooks. Um, even though it's not been officially released uh, already through that route, I've already got uh, nine reviews at the time of recording this up on Amazon.com. So uh, I really appreciate if you guys do get a chance to read the book, if you want to leave a review. Uh, it's okay to be honest, but I really like positive ones too. That helps uh, drive people to the book. Um, but anyway, all that is to say, uh, I hope that you can come out to Springfield, Ohio, to the Beacon of Hope bookstore here in Springfield. Uh, we're going to be having a great time. I'm going to be sharing some music live that night. going to be reading some passages from my new book, Out of the depths a songwriter's journey through the psalms and i have promised that we will have cake that night so if you want to know more about that event uh, you can even find uh, directions how to get there you can go to rickleyjames.com slash book rickleyjames.com slash book and um oh i should tell you one other thing too if you go to rickley james let's see what is it rickleyjames.bandcamp.com I believe. Uh, you can actually find a bundle that's available there now where you can buy the hardcover copy of the book and get a, a download of uh, Basement Psalms Live, the entire album along with it, since the uh, book is a companion to that live album if you've never heard it. And... Um, yeah, I've got some other surprises in store, but I think I'm going to save them for another episode. Uh, I'm a part of something called the Podcast Initiative, where I'll be podcasting uh, in... Uh, cooperation with some other podcasts. I'll be on their show. They'll be on mine, uh, probably starting from the next podcast, number 94. So uh, that's some other great stuff to look forward to. Well, that's enough. I've been talking for almost 10 minutes now up front. Um, here is my conversation with a, a really great guy, an awesome singer, songwriter, and let me just call him a hymnologist, Mr. Andrew Greer. Thanks for listening to Voices in My Head. I have heard of a land on a faraway strand. Tis a beautiful home of the soul, built by Jesus on high, where we never shall die. Tis a land where grow in that beautiful home where we'll never more roam we shall be in the sweet by and by happy praise to our King Tis a land 
Award-nominated singer and songwriter, respected music journalist, and a co-creator of the innovative Hymns for Hunger tour, along with Dove Award-winning singer-songwriter Cindy Morgan, helping raise awareness and resources for hunger relief organizations across the country. The tour has been presented in dozens of cities across the nation, along with special performances at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Samaritan's Purse, and Amy Grant's Tennessee Weekend Benefit. Greer is a 2013 GMA Dove Award nominee for Instrumental Album of the Year for All Things Bright and Beautiful, Hymns for the Seasons, a collection he performed, produced, and arranged exclusively for parable stores. The project held the number one spot on the Nielsen Christian SoundScan's Instrumental Track for 25 weeks. There's a lot more we can say about Andrew Greer, but we're going to let him say it about himself here as we have him as a guest on Voices in My Head today. So, Andrew Greer, thank you for being a guest, and welcome to Voices in My Head. Yeah, thank you so much, Rick. That was a a wonderful introduction. (laughs) Well, you know what? I got most of it from your website, so whoever wrote it did a great job. (laughs) Well, good for them. (laughs) (laughs) No, it really is impressive, though. I I usually try to write an intro, and I thought, wow, this is so good on here. I'm going to just use mostly what's on there because there's so many good things. So now you are a person, obviously, if anybody is uh, is new to your music, um, they may not know this, but people who are fans already know that you are a hymn enthusiast. You can tell it by the many recordings that you have done. And so I want to ask you our question of the week this week, which has actually been answered online by many of our listeners, and they all have different opinions. It seems like there's 20 different answers with 20 different uh, from 20 different people about what this is. So let me ask you today, what is a hymn, and kind of what makes a song a hymn? Sure, and that is definitely, you know, can be a, a bit of a, a hard question to pin down, but you know, I think traditionally the definition of a hymn is something that brings praise, uh, traditionally a song that brings praise to something or someone, and of course, in the in our Christian heritage, uh, that songs that are bringing praise to God from our perspective of, of what we who we understand ourselves to be, who we understand God to be, um, and our Thanksgiving gratefulness, uh, maybe uh, songs of, of um, satisfaction in our relationship with God, but oftentimes, um, as we see in a lot of the lines of the historic hymns of the Christian faith. Uh, a lot of dissatisfaction <laughs> in the verses that then 
continue to point to this bigger picture surrender uh, to a creator, to God, to a father, to a friend who understands uh, the details that we just are unable to see uh, from our finite perspective. So I think, you know, for me, I am, uh, I definitely think of it from a spiritual perspective, and so I think of him as a song that somehow celebrates or seeks to understand God better um, through its its lyric and its melody. Uh, what I love about hymns, you know, when we think about music in the in the modern day church, um, in the 21st century church, we often label some more modern worship songs that seem to have a certain approach as a modern day hymn. But what are those songs? They're usually songs with a certain kind of melody that has almost um, kind of an old English melody to it. I think of like either Gaelic or Celtic or uh, some kind of melodic structure that just seems to sound like a hymn. Uh, it's typically a little more complex, musically speaking, uh, from a chord perspective, but then lyrically, it tends to be a little bit more uh, rich in its uh, verbiage and, uh, from my opinion, a little more poetic. So, obviously, we have people like um, Stuart Townend and Keith and Kristen Getty and folks like that that we traditionally think of as modern-day hymn writers. And I think that's because their music lends itself to a form, uh, musically and then also lyrically, to a style that we think of as these hymns that we've been singing uh, from the 17, 18, or 1900s, especially in the Western world. So, But you go somewhere else, a different culture, different society, uh, and their own songs of praise to God may look entirely different. You have the Renaissance period of, of songs that many of praise to God that have a total different kind of chamber style quality, Baroque-ish, Type thing to it. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> but I yeah. think the the heart of it is that it is a song that is um, trying to discover and to relate to God. Well, that's a, a pretty great answer, actually. And I have to say, as someone myself, I've, uh, in addition to, to being an independent artist that travels around quite a bit, um, I've been leading music in churches for around 15 years now. And I'm always interested by people's answers because it really does seem like everybody has a different idea for what a hymn is. In fact, today, mm-hmm. Today I was talking with my pastor, and uh, we were talking about, so is a hymn, is it a hymn because it's in a hymn book? Is it a hymn because it's a certain style? Is it a hymn because of the meter? Um, is it a hymn because, uh, you know, some 80-year-old saint in the church said it was? Uh, you know, things like that. And uh, and we were talking about another aspect of it, too, is um, we were talking about the old song, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sins, and how that song actually has sort of a, it's almost like a sermon put to music, because when you read through it, it kind of tells the whole story about grace, the story of um, being lost, how to be freed from it, and then the resolution to, you know, where where this grace is taking us, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of interesting, because um, I think it would make a good documentary, you know, one of those things where people walk around, what is a hymn, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's just so many answers to it. Maybe that'll be my next project. I'll do a documentary. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, would, I would love that. I, <laughs> I think there's so much rich history in the stories of them, and, and like you said about Grace Greater Than All Our Sin, and how they tend to dig a little deeper and be a bit more comprehensive maybe mm-hmm. um, in their approach. And, and some, of course, are... You know, what I love about, or I think is a, a part of the purity of the writing of the hymns in a historical perspective um, is that they were not 
being written with commercial pressure. Mm. Um, there may have been timelines pressure. There may have been one needed for a service or something like that. But um, they were written specifically for the local congregation, um, not for even the worldwide congregation. And so nowadays, uh, because there is so much business in um, in music, uh, in the making and creating and, and in distributing of music, um, I think that we detect that there is a bit more. It does, it, there, I don't think there was a pandering. There may have been a pandering to a style that was popular, that was easy for people to sing along to. I'm, I'm certain the authors were thoughtful of the audience but or of, of the folks singing. Um, but I think it... I didn't live then, but from what I can tell in reading and, and researching, there was not the commercial pressure. So I, I think that's something important for us to remember uh, when we... Um, dictate hymns today, uh, modern day hymns, and, and how we, um, well, in time will tell in its own way uh, which songs are truly hymns. I, I think hymns uh, tend to last, and so I think that's another indicator uh, of what a hymn. So some of that we may not know until after we're gone. Sure, and that's a very interesting point you make too. Because recently I was diving into some of the the Wesley hymns history again, which is always just fascinating because mm-hmm. Charles Wesley just wrote so many hymns. It's just kind of mm-hmm. staggering to think about that. Um, but with somebody like him, who mostly didn't really even write music, you know, it just it, it was mm-hmm. like lyrics that were later music was tacked onto because um, you know they were such rich words. So it, it's kind of interesting that it, it's it's a little bit sad in some ways because I do think you're right that there is that sort of commercial pressure to we got to make a hymn. But I, I do wonder which ones of these will um, will end up standing the test of time as some of the new ones that are written and. Um, it'll be interesting to see, kind of, as the worship craze maybe dies down in the next few years, as uh, as a genre of music. You know, if we kind of return mm-hmm. back to something where we're just writing for the church, period. You know? Sure. So. Sure. Um, well, let's uh, let's go on and talk about some of your your writing and the way that you've arranged music. I, I feel like uh, a gift of, of a talented writer is not just that they can take their own lyrics and put music to it, but that they can breathe life um, into someone else's. And uh, that certainly is something that I think you've done. I, I recently was able to listen completely and, and have... I've listened to it again and again and again, your Angel Band, the Hymn Sessions album. And um, I, I feel like you have just taken some songs, even some songs I, I had not actually heard of before this album came out, and uh, and you've breathed some life into them. Some of them I knew very well, and, and I thought, wow, he really took a song that I didn't care to do very much anymore, and I think I would <laughs> like to do it more, you know, in my, in my congregation. Um, because really, I, I feel like what, a lot of times we do is, is is the words are often very sacred, but it's kind of important to learn to speak the musical language of whatever generation you're with as well. So uh, let me say first of all, well done. I think you've done that very well. Thank and you. and uh, I, let's let's just move on. And if you don't mind, I'd love to just talk about a few of the songs on the album, sure. partially, partially because. Um, I buy a lot of music digitally anymore, and I love it because it's instant. I can get it right away. Uh, the downside of that is I don't have liner notes anymore. <laughs> sure, and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I don't always get to know who's doing some of the great playing and singing that's going on these albums. So I'd like to just maybe touch on some of the songs uh, and yeah. let you kind of comment on them as we talk through some of these hymns from your album. 
Absolutely. And uh, and I do want to let the listeners know, too, you can go to uh, Andrew's website, andrew-greer.com, and you'll be able to find uh, not only this uh, Hymn Sessions album, Angel Band, The Hymn Sessions is the name of the album, uh, but there's also a Christmas version of The Angel Band and all of the other albums that Andrew has put out, you'll be able to find on there as well. So I just wanted to make that quick plug so people can go to your website. Um let, let's quickly talk about a song that is just, I can't get it out of my head, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's the very first track, O Come Angel Band, and it features so, um, Sonia Isaacs on the song. And, uh, it, man, it's a great tune, but I have to tell you, you did something that I don't hear people do very often, um, and it kind of adds excitement to the song. I always hear people say, if you're going to change keys, go up, you know, <laughs> modulate <laughs> up. And you kind of do the opposite toward the end. You drop, I think it's from like the key of C to, to B flat or something like that. Yeah, um, yes. And because I, I was trying to play through it a little bit and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then you bring it all back around together. It's just really neat. I, I think people need to listen to it just to hear how interesting uh, musically it is, if nothing else. But talk to us a little bit about Okami. Angel Band. Oh, well, I love the lyric, and the first time, it's a hymn from the early 1900s, but I originally heard it when I was in college 10 years ago here in Nashville, and a friend of mine gave me a record of the Isaacs. I'd never heard of the Isaacs before, but it was a hymn record, and I, I've always loved hymns, and so uh, I, of course, immediately fell in love with it just because of their kind of bluegrass, folky style, and Sonia's incredible um, vocal, and they had done an arrangement of O Come Angel Band, and I thought, because I knew they were writers and songwriters and all that kind of thing, I thought it was their song, because <laughs> they oh. tend to write in such traditional terms. And so, anyway, and then I heard it, my favorite artist of all time is Emmy Lou Harris, and someone gifted me a record of Emmy Lou's from 1987 that was oh. just Emmy Lou. Um, Vince Gill on mandolin and guitar and background vocals and Jerry Douglas, just four people and then Emery Gordy Jr. on bass which are just legendary musicians in their own right and it was just the four of them on this Americana Hens record and so I heard it there and I was like, oh wait a second so I started doing some research and realized it was an older hymn but the lyric of it, you know it's it's really a song for it's really a funeral song in a lot of ways I mean it's it's a song about the journey on um, from this life to the next or um, into eternal communion with God. And so I think that's, of course, a beautiful thing. It's a, a bit of a bit melancholic because that's a passage on this side of it we haven't made yet, and that's always mixed a bit mysterious and and uh, both hopeful but, but sad, of course. And so um, that chorus, Oh, come angel band, coming around the stand, bear me away on your snowy wings to my immortal home. I think it's, I think the lyric is just, every verse is so absolutely beautiful. And we wanted to really accentuate, as I think you, know, you would agree, the, you know, music should accentuate the lyrics and songs and so, sure. and, and vice versa, I guess, but they, they should really play off each other. And so the first two verses are all about, you know, um, seeing our loved ones, you know, as we move on the journey, uh, feeling that it's near, the end is near, and that kind of thing, and they'll come angel band. And so that was in the key of C, like you said. But then we're trying to figure out what to do with the third verse because the third verse more focuses on Christ and his sacrifice for us, which has then allowed that opportunity uh, to have this eternal relationship with God and to be in the presence of God forever. And so we wanted to highlight that, 
highlight that the sacrifice, that this kind of potent part of it, before sure. talking about me and my journey, now it's talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the, the, the person who has, um, who has, has made it possible, who has loved us, uh, because God has loved us through Jesus, that, that we are then able to have this eternal relationship with God. So, yeah, we took it down a step to make it a little bit darker, I think, and, mm. And, and give it a just a different. It's kind of like the whole song "Oh Come Angel Band, Bear Me When Your Snowy Wings." Is you think about flying, right, soaring up, right. and we kind of wanted to, to do the opposite. And I think there wasn't a real, you know, convicted reason for that, other than uh, it takes the listener, it, it keeps their interest. It's a long song, mm-hmm. it's a breathy song, and uh, it needs space like that. But we thought that key change now would highlight that lyric and also keep the listener activated before it was over. So. Um, yeah, a very, very astute observation on your part, though. Well, you know what? It it really did like keep my attention, and and a lot of times during the day, I'm I'm with my little one year old son and trying to take care of him, and I'll listen to music while I'm doing you know work, and and uh, that was one thing that kind of stood out when I first heard it was like, oh wow, they just kind of like drop the key it feels like you know and then and it does it really does make your ears perk up so uh, good job well done on that thank you um let's talk a little oh you know what i I guess i want to talk about the instrumentalist and stuff too but let's do that a little bit on the next song because um i think maybe mark sibilia joined you uh and i think uh regina mccrary on the never grow old song yeah yeah and uh, and i feel like you know the start of this it almost reminds me of like a a Black Crows song, or um, like like a Springsteen-esque type, you know, because it's got that kind of driving electric guitar and, and sure. you know the the bending of the low notes and all that stuff, and it just has a really cool feel to it. And then you get into the lyrics, which I feel like the music really supports this song a lot. But tell me a little bit about not only you know lyrically where this song comes from, but also just some of the great instrumentation and and who's doing what on this song. Sure. Well, you're, you're pretty much right. We were actually trying to channel Ryan Adams a bit, um, <laughs> which is similar influences of what you're thinking. And um, yeah, Mark Sibelia is this incredible uh, independent. Well, he's not totally independent anymore, but uh, been independent for years and, and now has a deal with Sony. But uh, a singer-songwriter very much in the tradition of kind of Bob Dylan, and actually his favorite artist is Bob Dylan. And he knew the McCrary sisters, which were Gina McCrary, who also sang on the song, uh, is a part of the McCrary sisters, and their start came from uh, Bob Dylan's Slow Train Coming Tour back in the early 80s, and so wow. uh, he knew of them through that because he's obsessed with Dylan, and so Mark's been a friend. We've co-written some stuff together and uh, for a while, and so when I asked him to come in on that track, uh, I said, I'm bringing in Regina McCrary, and he was, anyway, it was kind of a, a gift to him, but... Um, uh, there's a lot of soul and warmth in Mark's voice, and of course Regina, uh, from their tradition of black gospel and and that kind of thing. She's got all kinds of soul uh, mm. in her vocal, and so I wanted to juxtapose that. I always think it's cool when there's a bit of rock and roll with <laughs> soul. You know, yeah. I'm not a big rock and roller, and I'm I actually am a huge acoustic fan. Electric instruments takes a lot to convince me to use them, and yeah. Um, but that's the way with that dirty, gritty tone. It gives it that, you know, it is, it's not a Motown track by any means, but it, it throws back, that, that guitar tone kind of throws it back into this vintage era where almost, where electric was Americana. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the song is just a, 
a, a song that I first heard on the Patty Griffin record. But again, it's from the early 1900s, and again, it's about you know our the next life. You know, we will never grow, never grow old to the land where we'll never grow old. And so, uh, I think always folk Americana spiritual type music is so potent um, when it has sometimes simple lyrics, but that have you know are brimming with hope. Hmm. Now, now is that you playing the electric on the uh, that track? Oh no. Oh no. Um <laughs> I I wish it's a guy named Court Clement who's played for a thousand different artists here in town. Everybody wow. from uh, Mark Broussard to Matthew West and uh, a good friend from when we were at school at Belmont together and he has beautiful tones. So no, I don't I play a little guitar, uh I play a lot of uh keys is actually my main instrument and so any kind of piano or accordion or or lips or anything here on the record, that's me, Rhodes, hmm. uh, as well as some perk, as well as some ukulele and um, and mandolin, a little bit of, of I more towards the bluegrass instruments. But nice. Anyway, yeah. Cool. So well, that's so cool that that you know Mark Sibilia. It, you're gonna think this is funny, but the the way <laughs> I actually first came across his music was through the Julian Smiths videos you know the oh, yeah, online he's got those hilarious you know youtube videos that are just got millions and billions of viewers now mm-hmm. um but apparently mm-hmm. they're friends and i you know i remember seeing mark on one of his videos I'm like hey i kind of dig this guy's music this is fun you know that, that he would be in this funny video and stuff and i and when yeah. i when i saw his name i was like oh cool this is great that he's on never grow old so that is so interesting yeah what that's very interesting well, let's look at uh, some of the other songs, and uh, we probably don't have time to go through all of them, so I'm going to pick uh, just a few that really stood out to me, as uh, and and they're all excellent. But I was I fell in love with the steel guitar. I, at least if if it's not steel guitar, it's an amazing steel guitar modeler on Down by the Riverside. Um, no, it's steel. Yeah. Oh man, who's playing that? Do you recall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a guy named Ward Williams who's actually. Not many great steel players or steel players, period, in town, much less anywhere else. And so, uh, Ward plays for a bunch of big country acts, and so he's a he's a tried and true country music oh, player. Yeah. And you know, yeah, it's pedal steel is my favorite instrument of all time. It's I think the most sad, but on that down by the riverside, you know, we played it kind of old swing, and so uh-huh. yeah, it's a really cool, well, it was a cool opportunity. Well, and that was a great song to go swing with. I mean, it, it's just such a great one. It's it, all of these really. I mean, they've been all sticking in my head. And um, like I say, it's a good thing because you know then you have to go grab your iPod or whatever you're listening through and hear it again because it's been in your head all day. So uh, that's very well done. But that's just one that I I think not only lyrically it's a great song, but I just think instrumentally you did a great job uh, just bringing that all together. Um, now there's a song um, softly. Well, we have Softly and Tenderly on this album. There's Jesus Paid It All, which has a great gospel feel to it. And Did you guys record Chains on that song? It almost sounds like there's it's, Chains. No, and, it's not Chains. It's a, it's some really interesting percussion contraptions. We spend a lot of time in the studio finding things that make noise. And uh-huh. um, We wanted the idea of Chains, though, with the McCurry sisters on it, and, and we recorded it live to tape, so we were all in the same room at the same time. And uh, with them on it in that black gospel tone and I always wanted to be I love black gospel music grew up sure. loving it and always wanted to be a black gospel artist but um, obviously that's not terribly <laughs> possible but but this was kind of a chance and so and I wrote the lyric to the a couple of these hymns I actually wrote the lyric to 
second verses that I was hoping people would not realize were my lyrics because I wrote them with the same melody, the traditional melody, but would just think it's a verse if they're familiar with the song, a verse, you know, the second or third verse they never sang in church or whatever. So that second verse, um, I can't remember what it is, but Oh Sins, um, mm, um, I can't remember what it is, but it's about the chains breaking around my feet. Sure. Um, through Christ on Calvary. I can't remember the exact lyrics. But anyway, yeah. so I wanted that imagery to come out. Uh, you know, and it's in just the spiritual side of things from an African-American historical perspective. Um, a lot of spirituals and songs and hymns were sung, uh, you know, out in the fields during uh, uh, during slavery, the period of slavery in, in our heritage and history. And I think that's, a beautiful picture in a way of what a symbol it was of in the middle of their darkness, uh, they were singing about the light and singing about the mm-hmm. hope. And, and that's very, you know, I think it's a beautiful metaphor for our lives every day. We are still living here in the questions and the doubts and the darkness and, and continually uh, trying to point to the light. Yeah. Well, what a great song and what a very interesting version of it because it, it does. It sounds almost like a chain gang or something whenever you hear yeah. it. And I thought, wow, I would never have um, I would never have thought on that song to do something like that, but it really does fit well and it makes you think of the lyrics in a whole new way. Uh, well, moving through the album still, we have The Lord's Prayer featuring Ron Block. And if listeners don't know, Ron Block has been a player for uh, um, Allison Krauss for a whole lot of years and has kind of made a name for himself. So you've probably heard him even if you don't know you've heard him <laughs> on albums. Yeah, right. So was was he doing the banjo on that song on The Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah The Lord's Prayer is just a banjo and a little bit of pedal steel uh, to help fill it out. Um, we record it live to tape again. We do a lot of that. And so his band, uh, it was uh, Ron and his banjo in one booth and me, so just the vocal and the other booth and us facing each other so that we could play off each other. And yeah, I, the Lord's Prayer is typically a song from its musical setting, one that was written, uh, Albert Hayes Lamott wrote the musical setting for the one we traditionally think of in 1923. And, and it, we always think of it as this kind of big high church bombastic yeah. type thing and I was out performing a church in, in the middle of Los Angeles in Bel Air out looking over the Hollywood Hills and had all these glass windows that was absolutely beautiful and and the organ started playing the intro to the Lord's Prayer really suddenly everyone was seated and in this huge sanctuary like 5,000 people they started singing Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name but they all had their their uh, eyes closed and their heads bowed and their hands in this posture of praying. Hmm. And then when it, it got to the lyric, for thine is the kingdom and the power, they all stood up and raised their hands to the wow. ceiling. And it was the most moving and beautiful thing. It really brought back the lyric. Of course, that's, that's Jesus' words, and that's uh, the way we're taught to pray, and, and it encompasses pretty much everything. Hmm. And so I began to think about the lyric again, and I thought, well, I'm not a big voice singer. Um, I have a little range, but I don't have these huge pipes and so how would it be how would it bring back bring the lyric back home in a way that people wouldn't suspect and so it's kind of an eerie we wanted an eerie kind of disposition with it so just me and Ron banjo voice and a little pedal steel so hopefully it's a haunting thing you know yeah 
Oh, it, and it's it's a great job. It's really beautiful. So I I hope that listeners are are hearing this and are intrigued. And and uh, we're going to actually play a little bit of it on the podcast. Some of these songs so people can hear them this week. But uh, great stuff. Well, well, let me go on through the album songs. Um, in the garden is sort of this alt rock uh, version. That's another thing I would have never thought. Uh, the style that you do on in the garden, but it works. It really does. A great job. <laughs> and then uh, I am thine with near the cross, featuring Jenny Owens. Uh, it was probably eleven years ago. Um, I was just starting out, and I got to open for Jenny Owens in North Carolina uh-huh. once upon a time. And I always remember uh-huh. just how sweet she was. And uh, I felt bad for her because they had flown in in almost hurricane type weather, and uh, she was pretty a little bit shaken whenever she got to <laughs> where the concert hall was. <laughs> but uh, they were so sweet. We had dinner together with her and her band that night, and uh, so it was great to get to hear Jenny Owens uh, on this album. So yeah, yeah, um, she's awesome. Let me ask you, there, there's some sort of instrument, and I, I hesitate to even name what the instrument is on that song, but I, I feel like it's it's maybe an instrument that might have almost some sort of Eastern origin to it, but I can't I can't quite place what it is, and maybe I'm, my ears are just stuffed up um, or something. But. Well, no, I think that's it. I haven't actually heard that track in a long time. Oh, um, okay. Obviously, strings on it, and there's a dobro that it starts with the dobro. Right. Um, and... And it's almost, I was going to say, it's not quite like a sitar or something, but it's almost like this, it's just a little plunking, and it may just be like violin strings being plucked or something, but it... It it, may be, there's lots of pizzicato from the strings in it, lots of it, and there's actually some plucking from the dobro, everything that's on that track is played non-traditionally, so I think it's just, I think I was on Wurlitzer, and I think... Ward Williams was on Dobro, the pedal steel player, and then the string quartet in a very non-traditional setting, and then there's a tuba on there. Yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the tuba. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? All, all that is to say, listeners, go listen to it and find out for yourself. It's very interesting <laughs> music. Um, and then just to, to round out the album real quick, uh, we have that song, which is I Am Thine with Near the Cross. There's I've Been Searching, which is another song with the McCrary sisters. There's uh, an old song called The Unclouded Day, which features Sandra McCracken, also a beautiful bluegrass song. And, uh, and the last song, which is just a very simple duet with a guitar, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus with Cindy Morgan, and uh, I, I think I would love to you like talk more about all these songs, but we're going to run low on time. So maybe sure. we could just, since Cindy Morgan is on that track on the last one on the album, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing um, with Cindy yeah. Morgan and and your efforts to help raise awareness for hunger relief organizations? Sure, Cindy is a great friend. We've been on tour for about a year now. Um, in between our other tours and, and such, on a tour called Hymns for Hunger. And it's kind of our brainchild. We want to do an old vintage hymns tour and maybe get to some churches and venues that don't get a lot of uh, live music. And so uh, we wanted to do this throwback thing, but then we were throwing out titles. And I said as a joke in the email train, I said Hymns for Hunger just because it's alliteration and it was in the middle of a bunch of other op- you know, possibilities. And she emails back right away, Hymns for Hunger, that's it. And I said, well, that, you know, <laughs> kind of implies a lot more than what we were thinking. And she said, I know, she said, in their own community, just outside of Nashville, where she, her husband, and two girls live, uh, they had begun work with uh, the food pantry there in, in their county and had really been um, just surprised, uh, intrigued by how many folks were coming in that uh, 
did not typically have to take advantage of a food pantry program, but were really having to choose between food and keeping the lights on, just in whether both parents had lost their job or whatever had happened with a bit of the economical downturn. And these were responsible people, you know, people that they knew and that they knew were not just looking for handouts. And so we began thinking how could we initiate a tour that could instigate raising awareness funds um, and tangible goods at each place we go. So most of the shows we do, um, we have organizations and churches and, and venues and schools that will, uh, colleges that will book us, and their kind of contribution is they will actually bring us in for a free show, and then the admission to the show is typically, it could be a, a clothes drive, it could be a jacket coat drive, it could be a food drive, and then usually there's opportunities during the night to, to give, because we do know in every situation with food banks, um, it's actually money that can be utilized the best because they have such incredible channels to get food at incredible costs. We're talking about meals for a quarter to a dollar oh. type thing, you know. Wow. So even someone's $5 is going an incredibly long way compared to going and buying five cans of green beans at the same cost. So um, anyway, we've just been, our eyes have been opened. And so we paired the local, everywhere we go, it raises um, the, the efforts, uh, the benefit is for the very local community. And then we also have adopted some communities in Nicaragua through our friends of Food for the Hungry for an international angle and have begun to raise support through the shows uh, for uh, our friends in Nicaragua that we've gotten to visit a couple of times now. So it has an international angle that's through the night, but the, the local angle is really the drive to have people there. So we've been thrilled, just really thrilled at all the opportunities that we've had on a national and international level to to just it's funny, you know, these hymns um have just kinda easy way to open doors. People are not offended or opposed or um we've been in circles raising awareness and funds that are not explicitly Christian uh, or Christian organizations and it doesn't matter. The hymns are also historic for Americans. Hmm. And so it's it's just been really cool to see how a little can go a long way. Well, that is so neat. I, I really appreciate the the work you're doing on that, and I think that your uh, your tour is continuing right now. I think maybe you had a little time off for holidays, but are you getting yeah. ready to go back on the road with that tour? Yeah, we will. We have some dates in February, March, and April that'll be out and about, and those can be found on tour pages, and it'll be updated soon um, through either hymnsforhunger dot com or, of course, my website andrew dash dot com. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be back out at it again, and we have some really cool plans. Uh, in the works for some multi-artist type stuff that'll be coming up um, a little later. So yeah, it, we're really excited about all the things happening. Fantastic. Well, before we go today, is there anything that we haven't talked about that maybe you have going on right now that you really would like our listeners to be aware of? You know, I, the, the hymn sessions and the Christmas sessions have both become those angel band products very important to me and and have continued to keep me on the road and and in all kinds of places and venues, but um, with Jenny, you mentioned Jenny Owens, one of my closest friends, and we're co-authoring a book right now for Thomas Nelson uh, that's trying to discover the character of God as uh, traced through the Old Testament hmm. and to see if that's applicable to us still today in our situation. So, yeah, um, that's just something to keep sites open for, too. It's my first book. It's her first book, but we're very excited about it, and that should be coming out either late in the fall this year or next spring, but we'll be um, doing a lot of events around it and, and things to just promote it. But 
it's due in a couple weeks, so <laughs> we're oh, at wow. that stage of, of what in the world did we sign up for. Um, but, yeah, so that's exercising a kind of new creative outlet for well, me. Well, I will look forward to reading that. I actually just finished writing my first book, and uh, it's <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It's called. Uh, it's actually. Uh, it's connected to a live album I did on the Psalms, and uh, the book is called "Out of the Depths: A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms." And um, yeah, and we, we got. Uh, I was so excited. Michael Card endorsed it for us, and a couple other different oh. people. So yeah, it was just it, reading. Uh, I mean, writing is. Uh, in book form is so different, isn't it? To you know, actually, uh, for me anyway, it was it was a stretch, but oh, I yes. loved it. I really enjoyed it. So, congratulations uh, to you on that. That's oh, fantastic. Oh well, thanks. I would love to read yours. I would love any any opportunity to see how musicians put words on the page is always interesting to me. So. Uh, well, cool. Well, I'll tell you what. After we uh, finish recording, I'll make sure you get a copy of that as well. So awesome. Well, well, Andrew Greer, I just uh, thank you so much for being uh, one of the voices in my head today on this podcast. Yes, thank you, Rick.
to him who bled and died for me whose blood now cleanses from all sin and gives me victory listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.